Our New Testament lesson this morning is going to come from the end of Philippians. We've been walking through Philippians the last few weeks, and today we're going to finish out Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start reading with verse 10, and we'll read through verse 23. We'll finish out the book of Philippians today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, where Paul writes these words. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you have sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you've been following along with our Rooted in Christ study the last few weeks, you've noticed that we've been in the Gospels. If, if you've not been following long, along, I would invite you to, to go, go into the newsletter. You can find information on how to join it. We, we send out a daily scripture each morning through text message. We also, on Monday mornings, send out some reading guides through email. So there's lots of ways to plug in and kind of read along with our church as we're reading through the Bible together this, um, this year. The last few weeks, we've been in the Gospels. Uh, We've been uh, going through each of the Gospels. I love the Gospels. I I think something one of my preachers said when I was younger. He said, if you want to really change your life, then read a Gospel. If you want to really change your life, spend time in the Gospels and see how Jesus really lived and see what Jesus really did. And that will change your life. And and I really believe that. But as I read through the Gospels, one of the accounts that kind of kept coming back to me that I love so much is I I love the temptation account that we see in the Gospels. Particularly, I've always enjoyed Matthew's temptation account. And that's something really important. When we see Jesus being tempted... There's a couple things that I think are important within that. First, know this. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. And Scripture says Jesus remained sinless. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin. We all face temptation. It becomes sin when it takes root in our lives. 
and affects our hearts, affects our souls, affects our actions. But we're all going to face temptation. Do not think that temptation in and of itself is actually a sin because it's not. It only becomes a sin when we act upon it. Jesus faced temptation. And Scripture says we too will face temptations. We pray in the prayer we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We're going to all face temptation. So by the way, be aware, friends, if Jesus faced temptation What makes you think you won't? I mean, if Jesus was tempted, why wouldn't you or I be? So I think the temptation account is very interesting. But I think something is interesting to look. To look, uh, that's why I like Matthew's account. It, it's to me the Bible's a beautiful, just beautiful story to read. But I like how in Scripture you see. Almost like an ongoing conversation. You see, you see conversation back and forth. We see it in John's gospel a lot. But I think especially in Matthew's gospel, when we read the temptation account, there's, there's almost a little bit of interplay between Jesus and the devil. You almost see them kind of, you see a conversation. Because when, when you look at the temptation and what the devil did, you know one of the things that the devil did in the temptation account with Jesus? He quoted the Bible. I mean, the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus. He said, is it not written that he will send his angels concerning you and that not a, your, foot shall not, your foot shall not dash itself against the rock? I mean, Jesus, the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite uh, songs is by the Christian songwriter Rich Mullins where he kind of talks about the account, the temptation, and the song's entitled, Quoting Deuteronomy to the Devil. I've always liked that line. But he's, the devil quotes the Bible to Jesus. Y'all, just because somebody can quote the Bible doesn't mean they're speaking for God. I mean, those of you of my age and older will get this statement, but Jim Jones preached the Bible. You know, a lot of people use the Bible. My mom used to always say, you can use the Bible to defend anything. So the important thing with Scripture is understanding the context. And that's what Jesus did. When the devil said he will, concern the, he will, send, he will, he will um, send his angels concerning you that, that your foot will not dash itself against the rock, Jesus said, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was able to understand the whole of Scripture and understand how things fit together in context. He always understood the whole of, of Scripture and the context of Scripture. Because there are certain verses of Scripture that can be really confusing. And one of the first keys in understanding Scripture, particularly the difficult to understand passages, is look at the context. What does it say in front of it? What does it say behind it? That's, that's one of the first keys to understanding Scripture is look at the entire picture, not just the single verse. Because you want to always read the Bible in context with itself. That's one of the best ways to understand Scripture. Because there are some passages of Scripture that are hard to understand. And I would, not just some, I would say a whole lot. Uh, and sometimes we struggle with even understanding the Bible and what the Bible itself even says. I used to, years ago, do this little dog and pony show where I would go to different churches and talk about how John Wesley felt like we should treat the poor. So I would, I would do my little dog and pony show, and I would, I would quote these verses of the Bible, and I'd do this type of stuff. And then I would say, throw up a slide on the screen, and it would say, because, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. 
And everybody nods their head. And I was, I was trying to get them. And then I'd say, no, the Bible doesn't say that. God, Richard, poor Richard Almanac says God helps those who help themselves. But that's not in the Bible. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's not in the Bible. A lot of stuff that we think is in there that isn't in there. Why well, it's important to understand what the scripture actually says and to understand the context of it. Say, for instance, today's, I always, uh, today's verse is a, is a passage that is kind of like that. We looked at a verse here that you've heard a thousand times, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. You've heard that passage before. You, you, you may have worn it at, that passage as a, as a bracelet around your wrist. You've heard people talk about that verse. I can do it. Uh, we were uh, at, at a ball game the other day uh, up at Germantown and watching the band. And, and they now have all these players... Um, all these players introduced themselves on the big screen, and we didn't have any of that at Bogachita. But I didn't realize that, ath- you know, no big screens at Bogachita. I didn't realize athlete was a position because all the players were like, I'm so and so athlete. I'm like, man, I should have introduced myself as I'm Andy Stoddard, athlete. That would, that's very fitting for me. But when I played football back a million years ago, we'd be lifting weights, and I didn't like to lift weights. A friend of mine used to always say, I'd lift weights if they weren't so heavy, which has always kind of been my philosophy on lifting weights. But I'd be lifting weights, and I'd be, I'd be going, I'd be, Philippians 4.13, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do this. I can do this. Using that verse as a motivational thing to help me lift weights. <clears throat> is that what it's talking about? I mean, is that what this verse is about? A motivational thing to help me do what I want to do? To help me accomplish this task in front of me? Is that what this passage is talking about? Giving me the ability, the motivation to accomplish whatever task I have in front of me? That I can do that through Christ who gives me strength? I can, I can lift that dead bell through Christ who gives me strength? Well, maybe. I think that's part of it. I really do. I think that's part of it. But I think that verse is so much deeper than just that one concept. I think that verse has so much more to say to us than just being a motivational technique for us to get through a difficult time. So what's Paul really talking about here? Remember, what's the key to understanding Scripture, particularly difficult passages? Look at the context. Look what comes before, look what comes after. So let's go back to Philippians 4.13 and look at what comes before it, where Paul writes these words in verse 12. I have known what it is to have little... And I've known what it is to have plenty. In any circumstance, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. Okay, let's go back and hit rewind, talk about Paul's life. We talked a little bit about this. Remember a few weeks back, we talked about how Paul said, I consider all things as but rubbish. I consider all things as but trash when compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as Savior. Okay. We go back and look at Paul's life, y'all. Paul's career was a rocket ship. Paul was going to have the corner office by age 25. I mean, Paul had every, Paul was bound. Paul was bound for greatness. Paul was bound for being the high priest. Paul was bound for being an important liaison between Rome and Israel. Paul literally had his future set out in front of him. He made a 36 on the ACT at age in the 10th grade. 
He was getting letters from Ivy League schools when he was a junior. Paul's picture was all over the clarion ledger. Paul had everything you could want. His mom and daddy were so proud. You should have seen his homecoming pictures on Facebook. I mean, Paul had everything you could want. Rocket ship. Straight to power. Straight to fame. Straight to success. All you'd ever want. And then something happened. Jesus got in the way. Jesus showed up and things changed. So Paul's walking to Damascus and the Lord says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus Christ. And the Lord got up in his business and the Lord changed his life. And the Lord put Paul on a completely different trajectory than he was going. And the Lord changed everything about him. And now Paul says this, I've known what it's like to have plenty. I was in the catbird seat. I had everything a man could have wanted. I had everything. I had this. I had it all. And now I don't have any of that. In fact, probably has bad eyes and can't see because of the blindness the Lord gave to him. He's now an itinerant preacher, going from town to town, getting beat up. He's in the terms we use in our world. He's a bivocational preacher. He's a tent maker, making tents that have been sold to give him the money he needs to provide for his ministry. Paul says, I've had everything. I've had all you could ever want. And I've had nothing. I've lost it all. And I've learned I can survive in both. Through Christ, who gives me strength. See, the, the, the mistake we make with this verse is this. We think this verse is about us. We think this verse is about me, me being the best Andy that I can be. This verse has nothing to do with me. This verse has nothing to do with you. This verse is all about Jesus. This verse is all about Jesus. How Jesus gives us what we need in this moment. This, this, this verse is not about you bowing up and being better and being stronger and having more willpower. This verse is about understanding that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And all things are possible, not because we're awesome or strong or smart or wise or any of this. We've got nothing to do with it. This verse tells us that it is all, it is all, it is all about Jesus. And Paul understands that he can do all things not by his strength. He can have everything a man can want. He can have nothing. He can do both of those not because he is awesome, not because he's got it figured out, not because he is strong, but he can do it because Jesus Christ is good. And Jesus Christ is life. This has nothing to do with Paul this has everything to do with Jesus. Paul understands it's all about Jesus. I can do all things through Christ. Paul understands two things. First, he can understand that he can do all things because of Jesus. 
And secondly, he understands he can do all things through Jesus. Paul, like I said, lived an interesting life. Uh, one of the first time we meet Paul in Scripture is in Acts, when uh, Stephen is the first Christian martyr that's ever killed in the name of Jesus. And Scripture says that the one stoning Stephen come, and they lay their cloaks at the feet of Saul. Now, there's some debate about whether Saul was simply um, a young man assisting with Stephen's execution, or would I, would I believe that Saul, Paul, was in charge. Now, I, that's what I think Scripture points us to, but, you know, it doesn't say. But regardless, if Paul was simply a witness or if Paul was in charge, here's what we know. We saw, Paul saw Stephen get killed by being stoned to death. And it's interesting that if you, that if you go back and read that account of, of, of Stephen's execution, there's something interesting that happens there. As Stephen is being killed, it says he looks up at heaven and it says this. He says, and I saw the son of man standing at the right hand of the Father. Standing. What's Jesus usually doing at the right hand of the Father? Sitting. Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, as we confess in the creed. But yet, there's something interesting there. He says he's standing at the right hand of the Father. I always kind of wondered why. Scripture doesn't say, but this is my theory. You can almost see Jesus standing saying, Come on, Stephen. You can do this, boy. You're close. I know it hurt. I know it hurt. I know it hurts. I know it's hard, but you're almost there. Don't give up. You can I can almost see Jesus standing as a fan at a football game would stand on third down and say, Come on, team, let's stop them. Come on, guys, let's do you can do this. I can almost see Jesus standing, giving Stephen encouragement. And strength in that great moment of trial. I can see Jesus Christ standing. Come on, boy, you can do it. Don't give up. You got this. I can see Jesus doing that. And Paul saw Stephen doing that. Suffering and not denying Jesus. Paul, like I said, lived an interesting life. He would go out preaching, and his ministry followed a pretty familiar trajectory. He'd go into town. He'd preach. It wouldn't go well. They'd take him outside the town. They'd stone him and leave him for dead out there. The next day, he'd come back into town. I always say, I'm not a blockhead. If y'all take me out and stone me, I'm assuming that means y'all might want a new preacher. In fact, if your options are stone me or call the DS, call the DS. I would much rather prefer that than a stoning if those are my two options. But Paul went back in and preached again because he understood what Jesus had done for him. He understood his life was heading this way, and the Lord Jesus changed him and made him a different person. And Paul understood how everything fit together in his life now because of Jesus, because only Jesus makes a difference, and only Jesus changes a life. I had somebody the other day, we were talking about something. And he said, we were talking about something in Life, in life the Annual Conference. And he said, you know, I heard somebody tell me you were only doing that because it was good for your career. I said, dude, I'm from Bogachita. 
you think I'm worried about my career? I'm just glad I'm not hauling pupwood. I mean, I'm, I'm, life is good, man. What are you talking about? The reason why I do this is because um, I'm not the same person I used to be. You would not have liked me in high school. You would not have liked me before I met the Lord. I played a good part, came to church because my mom and daddy made me. I've always been pretty quick-witted. I mean, I've got, I, one of my gifts is I've got a pretty quick wit. I'm pretty good at reading people. Like, I can, I can typically tell when somebody's with me or how to read a room. That's, that's just a gift I have. I wish more preachers had it, but that's a gift I have. So which means I'm typically pretty good at figuring out what your weaknesses are, what your fears are, what your insecurities are. And when I was a teenager... Man, I would hammer you there. I would try to break you. I was a bully, and I was a good one. I was awful. You would not have liked me, seriously. I mean, I'm not saying that to be facetious or funny. I was the worst kind of bully out there. I made folks cry, boys and girls. And the Lord changed me. When I asked him into my life, he changed my heart. He changed my motivations. He changed my empathy. He changed my perspective on people. And I am a different person today because of Jesus Christ. I am. And I hope you are too. Because if you're not, you're missing the point of life. Paul could do all things because he knew, he knew what Jesus Christ had done for him. He knew that life alone was found in Jesus Christ. He knew that. He could do all things because of what Jesus had done for him. And he could do all things through Jesus. He knew that Jesus gave him the grace and the power and the empowerment to be faithful. He knew he could do it not just because of Jesus' life, but he knew he could do it because of Jesus' power. See, we get the whole thing backwards, y'all. We get the whole thing backwards. We make our faith all about our goodness and our obedience and our motivation. So I've gotten saved, and I've got to do the right thing, and I've got to be a good person, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. How many of you feel bad because you don't feel like you're doing enough, and then you quit doing anything because you don't feel like you're doing enough? It's just easier not to do anything. The gospel is this. You are not saved because you're a good person. You're saved because God is good and he loves you. And your life is not lived out making God love you. Your life is lived out as a response to God's love. It's not about you earning God's love. It's about you receiving God's love. Jesus Christ wants to do it through you. This verse is not about me and you bowing up and being better. This verse is about us getting out of the way. This verse is about us realizing it's not about us. We fed the Madison Central football team the other day, and I joked with Nicolette that the coach must have paid her for the talk she gave because her entire talk was this. It's not about you. It's about your team. If you're not getting the reps, you won't work harder. You're part of the team, though. It's not about you. I said, yeah, the coach must have paid you to say that. Your faith is not about you being a better person. Your faith is about getting out of the way and letting God work through you. I can do all things 
through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Not that I can do all things because I'm perfect. Not that I can do all things because I've got a great willpower. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him and his life through which we live. You can do it. So yeah, this verse is a good motivational perspective. Helps us know that we can do it. But it's so much more. You can do it no matter what you're facing. No matter what's going on in your life. No matter what trials or temptations you're dealing with. You can do it. No matter what God's called you to. Preacher, I just, I just can't give. Oh, our budget's tight. I just can't give. Yeah, you can. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can do it through the power of Jesus. Preacher, I can't, I can't commit. My schedule's so busy. I mean, come to church consistently, I don't have time for that. Yeah, you do. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Preacher, I can't teach. I'm not good enough to teach. Well, yeah, you're right. You're not. But you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Preacher, I can't love them. I don't even like them. Much less love them. I can't do that. Yeah, you're right. You can't, but you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. It's not about you. It's about him. And he can do it through you. We just got to get out of the way and let him work. No matter what it is you're facing, no matter what task is in your way, no matter what trial you face, no matter what challenges in your faith, no matter what inconsistency or lack of obedience is in your life there is, you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. That is his power. May we live out the grace of Jesus Christ each day of our life. Let us pray.